0: Okay, Jesse, last week's lime green motorcycle murder was definitely a crazy one.
1: What's the story this week? When a woman's parachute fails to open while she's skydiving and she plummets 3,000 feet to the ground, suspicion is cast upon the one person who swore to love and protect her. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder. Jesse, Welcome back everyone to Love Murder, a podcast about schemes, betrayal, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter
0: and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. And as
1: always, if you enjoy the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. Thank you guys as always for your wonderful reviews and ratings. We really, really, really appreciate it. So we have a couple announcements. Number one, yes, we are going to be building out some bonus content finally. And one of the ideas that I have right now is doing a love not murder series. And that will be all about relationships. And I want to hear your relationship stories. So if you have like a terrible dating story, a crazy ex situation, something that you think should be explored on love, not murder. I'd love to hear it. I also would love Andy and I would love if you guys have relationship questions and you want to hear our take on it, which (laughs) Jesse's the best person to ask ever. (laughs) I am like kind of the unlabeled, like relationship therapist for my friend group. Yeah. It's amazing. So if you want to hear what we have to say about your relationship situation, just write to us. You can send us questions on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email us at lovers at love. Dot love subject line, love, not murder. <laughs> okay. Also. Yay. I
0: didn't even say it yet, Jesse. Oh, okay. <laughs> we are going to announce the Crime Con contest winner. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. This year, we did just a really easy social media contest tagging Love Murder and CrimeCon. Con. And we are giving away two tickets to CrimeCon Con to one listener. And the winner of the contest, drumroll please, Jesse. Actually, I have the
1: drums right here, but.
0: The winner is Amanda Kay.
1: Yay. Congratulations. Amanda, we will see you in Vegas. Yes.
0: And thank you so, so, so much to everyone who has entered. If anyone who has entered has any questions about how to get tickets, what we're going to be doing, where you can buy merch, please feel free to message us, DM us comment on the Facebook discussion group. We're going to have a few more contests with like new merch that we're launching at CrimeCon and so forth. So we're here for you. We want to make you enjoy the experience as much as possible, whether that's there or
1: from afar. Yay. That's great. Thank you, Andy. And congratulations, Amanda. I'm really excited. I also would like to thank Melissa B who recommended today's case. This is certainly a situation where I would have never found this case had Melissa not recommended it, and I was obsessed. So I did use a book. I'll get into it later. I don't want to give too much away with the book title. And I also watched an ITV documentary you can find on Amazon Prime called The Parachute Murder Plot. Whoa. Yeah, this one's intense, guys. So let's jump right in. I'm really curious about what the title of the book is now. I will reveal it mid-episode. 3,000 feet above the earth, a skydiving plane did slow circles in the air, getting in position to discharge the last parachutists of the day. It was 4 p.m. on Sunday, April 5th, 2015, and the English weather had prevented all jump attempts already. The last two people left on the small aircraft were James Rankin and Victoria Silliers. James was a little nervous to jump from the lower altitude. The low cloud cover was forcing the parachutists into doing what they called a hop and pop, a low level jump that reached 5,000 feet maximum versus the altitudes of 10 to 15,000 feet many of the free fallers were used to. Victoria managed to calm the younger man while anxiety and doubt roiled in her own stomach. But you know, Victoria was not a newbie. She was very experienced. She was actually a skydiving instructor herself. Okay. The 40-year-old mother was about to embark on her 2,650th jump. Whoa. Yeah. So she knows the ins and outs of this thing. But things were a little different this time. There was something in her gut in a sixth sense that was telling her not to jump. She shook it off and she chalked it up to hormones because Victoria had just given birth to her second child, a baby boy, only five weeks earlier. Jesse, Jesse, <laughs> I couldn't even get on a Peloton five weeks after giving birth. I don't think I got on the Peloton for five months after giving birth, let wow. alone jumped from a plane. Wow. Isn't that wild? I mean, that's you haven't even had your six week postpartum checkup at that point. Yeah, like, are you should you be doing that? I don't know. I don't <laughs> like, know. like no strenuous activity until you
0: get the <laughs> that's okay. Crazy, yeah.
1: I don't even think you're allowed to be having sex right now, and she's no. jumping from a plane. Wow. But you know, she she does this so often that I, I imagine that this was a little different for somebody so experienced. Still crazy. So she was like trying to do something that gave her joy again. I mean, we all know that feeling. I don't know if we all know that feeling, but people who have had babies (laughs) definitely know that feeling of trying to get back to yourself after having a baby, you know? So she just really wanted to get through this, get it over with, and go home. The whir of the plane engine was deafening as she prepared to jump from the open door. So her home life had been tricky lately. Things with her husband, Emil, were rocky at best. So he was the one who had actually gifted Victoria with the jump, and he had encouraged her to get back into the air and do something that she loved. And she didn't want to say no to that gift. She felt like she needed to prove to Emile and to herself that she was still the engaging, adventurous woman that he had married. Ugh, yeah, babe, though,
0: like, give yourself Nothing to praise. prove, honey. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, James gave Victoria a smile as he dropped from the plane and out of sight. She steeled herself as she approached the roaring window, seeing the airfield far below. She strapped her helmet tighter, took one deep breath, and jumped. Immediately, the cold air hit her face and she felt the old familiar freedom of flying through the sky. She spread her arms out in front of her to maintain control of the fall and just at the right time, she let the parachute rip. Only something was very wrong. The lines were all twisted. She was uneven and the parachute wasn't opening properly. James watched in horror as Victoria picked up speed, plummeting past him. Oh my God. Well, she struggled. Yes, because he's now, he his parachute has gone off. So yeah. he's kind of floating. Yeah. And he's watching her just go past him down. Yeah. She's struggling with the parachute at this point. It's clearly not opening. So she, he's watching her as she gets out a knife and starts cutting off the parachute so that the reserve chute yeah. will come out. And then the reserve shoot comes out and something's wrong with it as well. It's only also half yeah, opening. this is like worst nightmare shit. Yeah, so he's watching her and she's basically at this point has like a half-inflated reserve chute. Okay, and she's trying to like hold it, like trying to figure out a way to hold it. Yeah, to make it inflate and like make it actually break the wind a little bit. Yeah, but it's just not working. And then he's watching as she basically her her feet come flying up towards her face, and she starts this like somersaulting oh free fall down to the earth. And he knew her. And he knew that she was a experienced skydiver. So this is just shocking and horrifying. And everyone down below is also watching this. And they're completely surprised. She was an instructor at that very skydiving center. Yeah. So he watches her just crash into the ground. And basically like knew that he was going to be landing and running over to her, which was certainly going to be a dead body, unfortunately. So what... Could have happened here. What, like, how could both parachutes not work? How could somebody that has jumped over 2,600 times yeah. go through this? Well, people began asking questions and the police would eventually uncover secrets in Victoria's marriage. sordid secrets, including swinging sex clubs, shocking lovers, and a trifecta of infidelity, sexual, emotional, and financial. That might have contributed to this so-called accident, Mm. but the only question on people's minds at that exact moment in April of 2015 was, is there any way a person can survive a fall of 3,000 feet? Well, we'll find out soon enough. No spoilers and no promises. Let's talk about how Victoria got here. She was born in Edinburgh in 1975 to a Scottish nurse mother and English actuary-turned-programmer father. Whoa. Younger brother, Christopher, yes. He had like three different jobs, so I'm like, what do I call him? (laughs) Good job. Yeah, he ended up being like a programmer and then a director of some type of programming. Younger brother, Christopher, followed four years later, and the cozy nuclear family settled in Haddington, a quiet Scottish town 20 miles east of Edinburgh. Victoria had a very happy childhood. She absolutely adored her family. She had great friends, and she was passionate in her youth about horseback riding. She was a big equestrian. At 14 years old, her world was shattered when her mother was diagnosed with aggressive bowel cancer. Ooh. Yeah. Despite intense chemotherapy and radiation sessions... Her mother succumbed to the cancer only one month shy of Victoria's 16th birthday. Oh my God. Devastated by the loss, she grew very withdrawn. One day she was at school and she spotted a poster that advertised a charity parachute jump and she felt energized again for the first time since learning of her mother's diagnosis. She signed up, raised money for bowel cancer to honor her mother and did her first tandem skydive. Victoria described the first moment she flew through the air as euphoric. It was the feeling of utter freedom. From that moment on, she was hooked on the sport. After high school, she went to university to become a physio, which is basically a physical therapist for us Yanks. Okay. After graduating, she craved a meaningful and physical challenge and decided to bring her physio training to the British Royal Army. Though boot camp and the rigors of army training were initially pretty tough, Victoria actually thrived at meeting the challenge. She was deployed to Kosovo during the conflict in the oh, region. Oh my God. Yeah, it, it was bad. She experienced truly the horrors of war. There's one story that she was talking about because she's a like a physical therapist. She was mostly helping people through injuries, yeah. you know, rehabbing them. And there was one case where a seven and 10 year old Set of sisters were brought to her, and the translator explained that their entire family had been lined up and shot in front of them. The seven year old had a broken wrist that needed to be rehabbed, and the 10 year old was recovering from a gunshot wound to her arm because she was also shot when her family was killed. Wow. There was like another story that I also read where she talked about how they heard all these gunshots and they were preparing for the casualties at the hospital and nobody came and she was wondering why. And then she realized it was because no one had lived. There wasn't any survivors.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, so it was pretty heavy. And so she returned um, and it was very hard for her to get back to civilian life, which I can completely understand. She talked about how she was like in the line at a grocery store and this woman ahead of her was like, these lines are ridiculous. These queues are insane. This place is terrible. And like, was just like bitching. And she wanted to like smack her and be like, only hours away, like children are watching their parents die in front of them. You can stand in a line. Yeah. Yeah. Get over yourself, you know? you know, it really puts things into perspective. And I mean, it's like, I mean, it's going on right now in yeah. Ukraine. There's always somebody who is suffering
0: Way in the world,
1: more. way more, and I think we all collectively need to, uh, you know, have a lot of perspective, yeah, and gratitude for, you know, if you guys are listening to this, chances are that you're not in a war torn region. Hopefully, you know, yeah. <sighs> so anyway, it was it was really difficult because you know she was having this like adjustment period. Um, she ended up going to work for the Ministry of Defense at a rehabilitation center where she mostly helped members of the military recover from injuries and surgeries. But she was experiencing a lot of burnout. I mean, I I could imagine that type of deployment really takes a lot out of you. And one of her friends suggested that she should look into adventure training courses that were offered by the military to distract her, kind of infuse some excitement into her life. And she found that there was a skydiving course listed. And she remembered that amazing feeling of doing that charity jump she wanted to get that glee again, that feeling. So she signed up for it, and she figured out pretty soon that she didn't like. Uh, there's a certain type of skydiving. I think that they do when they're teaching you how to skydive, which is like static line jumping. At least this is how Victoria learned. And I, I, we talked about this before. You've been skydiving, right? Yeah, but
0: I did tandem because I, I just did it in Australia. I like did what she did the first time. First time, yeah. How how was it? It was terrifying but awesome. (laughs) We jumped from like 14 or 15,000 feet. I mean, we were so high. So high. We were so high. I could see the whole curvature of the earth, the horizon and the curve of it. It was insane. Above clouds, fell through the clouds. We fell for- No, I hate this. I hate
1: this so much. I hate it. No, I am not this person.
0: We fell for, I think, 30 seconds. (gasps) which felt like forever. And then I was actually more scared when the parachute came out. Yeah. Because then you're floating still from around the height that Victoria fell from, I think from like four to 3000 feet and you're gliding. But if the parachute at that point, like what happened to her, if the parachute gets gets messed up at that point,
1: mm-hmm. then
0: it's really hard to recover from that. Yeah, And so my tandem guy was like a real jokester. And he was like cruising back and forth and pulling on the handles. And I was like, no, no. Like the whole time
1: I was like, I know, I don't want to do this. I I liked the free fall. That sounds so scary. So that's basically what she figured out was that they were teaching her on static line jumping and they were like lower altitudes and she wasn't, it was really scary and it wasn't, she wasn't having a great time. And then one of the instructors was like, you know what, maybe you just like the accelerated free fall program. And that was more like you're coming from 10 to 15,000 feet elevation. And she really loved that. And as soon as she landed off after her first like accelerated free fall, she was like, I want to go up immediately again. And I want to go and sign up for classes. And she started training to become an instructor because she enjoyed it so much. And, And very soon after that, I mean, she was in the lifestyle. She went to the center every weekend. It became her social center. She met all of her friends there. It was just the most important hobby in her life, you know? So at this point, she had a fulfilling career and like I said, a hobby that checked all of the boxes for her, but her love life had hit a few snags. She had broken off an engagement with a perfect on paper guy who didn't actually thrill her. And then she had ended up marrying a man named Liam after dating uh, for just about a year. And Liam really seemed like the one for her because he was also in the military like Victoria and he was also a skydiver. So her previous fiance had been very resentful about all the time she was spending at the skydiving center and with those types of friends because he wasn't into it. Okay. But like, you don't need to be into everything
0: your partner's into.
1: Yeah. You can appreciate the fact that that's her passion, you know? And Liam was like totally opposite. He was right there with her. He's like chasing the adrenaline and they shared a lot of the same interests. The couple married in a small ceremony in Victoria's hometown's church in 2004, but they faced marital difficulties shortly after the honeymoon was over. Liam was changing roles within the army and he needed to go away for 18 months of bomb disposal training. Whoa. Heavy. So yeah, that separation proved way too much for their marriage. Eventually, after a while, like, communication dropped off. They had like, started with like calling and texting and FaceTiming. And then little by little, they were barely speaking. And he did come home eventually and their marriage got better. But after he returned home, Victoria found out that while he had been gone, he had had a a pretty long-term affair. It had gone on for months. Okay. So that kind of crushed all of the trust in their relationship. And when he was deployed to Afghanistan later on, she realized that she could not trust him. No. Like she was like really paranoid when he was gone. And when he returned, there was like some questionable behavior. Like she would like notice like, hi- like a, a woman's name popping up on his phone and stuff. And she's like, you know what? You might not even be cheating on me anymore, but the relationship has been damaged to a point where I can't be in it anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. So she said that the divorce was pretty amicable. Like they were just kind of both sad about it, you know, at that point, like the the, the passion and the anger had gone. It was just kind of like, this isn't working anymore. So Victoria bought a house. She completed her instructor training courses and she built a happy, independent life for herself. Not too long after her divorce from Liam, she met a man named Emile Silliers while working as a physio. Emile was a unit PTI in the Royal Artillery who was recovering from extensive reconstructive surgery on his knee after a bad skiing accident. Emile was around 31 or 32 at this time, and Victoria was 35. The two connected over their love of adventure sports and other common interests, and soon the professional relationship became a deep friendship. When it became clear that it was also more than just a friendship, Emile asked Victoria out, and she transferred his treatment to a colleague. Victoria was so smitten with a meal. He was passionate about his work. He was just as much of an adventurer and thrill seeker as Victoria was, if not more. And she thought he was pretty darn good to look at as well. He was tall. He was in great shape. He was definitely going bald, but he like shaved his head. So it was like more of like a Bruce Willisy thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's always so smart. So smart. Go with the sexy Mr. Clean look yep. rather than the like comb over yes. guys. yeah. <laughs> So he was like a good-looking man. She said that she really was attracted to his piercing blue eyes. And he was also very, very into Victoria. And she had just, you know, recovered from this marriage where there was infidelity and long absences. And it it didn't seem like Liam was a very effusive guy anyway. So to have somebody who was like saying, I love you really early, wanted to spend all of his time with her was like basically showering her with attention and affection. And like they had crazy good sex life, apparently. Like this was exactly what she was looking for after that marriage. Emile told her that he was in the process of getting a divorce, though he was legally separated and lived in the military barracks, which she also confirmed. After the infidelity, she wanted to make sure that she wasn't accidentally like shacking up with a married guy, you know? Of course. Yeah. So he was basically legally separated at this point. They were living apart. He also had two children with his soon-to-be ex-wife, who he described as his world. Victoria was completely charmed by this and was really delighted when he told her that he would like more children. Since she was already in her mid-30s and she did know she wanted children, she needed to settle down with somebody who also wanted to have kids because it was going to have to happen sooner rather than later, obviously. Yeah. Fairly soon, they were talking about marriage and Victoria wanted to meet his children before the relationship progressed. Emil's ex-wife wanted to meet with Victoria privately before she'd allow her children to be with this woman, which totally, totally makes sense. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And Victoria totally agreed as well. She's like, yes, that, that makes perfect sense. I'm happy to have a coffee date with you and get yep. to know you so that you feel comfortable with me around your children. So Emile had been born in Cape Town, South Africa, and he immigrated to the UK in his early 20s. He explained that he had worked at bars and clubs when he first arrived, which is how he had met Carly. This is the ex-wife. Okay. After only four months of dating, Carly had found out she was pregnant and Emile had felt duty-bound to marry her. Now, the way that Emile talked about his first wife, Carly, was kind of a red flag to Victoria because he was kind of rude and dismissive of the mother of his child. The way he told her about their relationship was very cold. He said that the couple went on to have a second child, but he had never loved Carly and he had felt trapped by the relationship. And he even kind of negatively talked about her wanting to stay home with the children. Like he was like, we got into all this debt because she refused to go back to work after the kids and she just like stayed home and spent all of my money and like was online shopping and stuff. So Victoria was like very kind of like put off by this. This was the first like red flaggy thing that was going on in their relationship. But she also was like, I don't know, I mean I've talked badly about Liam. He cheated on me. So like, you know, people date and marry people that aren't great. So, you know, I'm not gonna like distrust his version of events, you know? When she did meet Carly, she found her open and likable, but she was blown away at the end of their coffee date when Carly said, oh, and I assume, you know, about the other children.
0: Oh, no.
1: Uh, what? But other also,
0: thanks, Carly.
1: Thanks, Carly. Thanks, babe. That's when Carly dropped the bombshell that Emil had had a longtime girlfriend in South Africa whom he had two children with. However, the ex and the kids had since moved to the UK as well. So they were now local. Uh, Secret children is a gigantic red flag. Huge red flag. Secret children.
0: (laughs) Secret children. I'll put that on the top of the red flag list. Especially when you're already like pitching 2 non-secret children.
1: Why not just say, I have four children. I have them from two long-term relationships, you know? Yeah. Because he's hiding something. Uh Uh-huh. So Victoria immediately confronted Emil about his secret family, and he broke down confessing that he was ashamed that he wasn't a part of his eldest children's lives, and he was afraid that if he had told her, she would have been scared off. Well, how is he not involved if they just moved to the UK? Yeah, it's uh, it's all very fishy. We're going to get into it. Emil told her that his ex would not let him have anything to do with his kids and that he was not an absent father by choice. Victoria felt at this point that she could trust Emil. She was in love with him. So she took him at his word and she continued the relationship. Unbeknownst to Victoria, however, Emile's version of events were far from the truth. Emile's South African girlfriend, Nicoline Shepherd, spoke to the documentary Filmmakers. So she's on the documentary. And she said that Emile had essentially ghosted his entire family when he moved to England. Wow. Yeah. So they had been teenage girlfriend and boyfriend. When they got together, Emile was 16 and Nicolene was only 13 years old. Wow. Okay. So they'd been together for a very long time. She got pregnant for the first time when she was 16. Yeah. They decided to stay together, have the baby and plan a life together. And she said that he was just amazing. Like she was so obsessed with him. He was so handsome. He was so charismatic. This was her first and only boyfriend. And she said that there was a way that he had a being where he would lavish you with attention and love and presence. And to the point where you felt like the only woman in the entire world. Yeah. So it was very love bomby, I would say. And then, like somewhere in the middle of their relationship, I think it was after their second child was born, he completely changed, and she discovered that he was compulsively unfaithful to her. Oh man. So when the couple had been together for seven years, Emil decided to go to England for better job opportunities. And the plan was either he was going to bring the family over eventually, or if it wasn't working out, he would come back to South Africa, having had um, more work experience. That was like, it was going to be one or the other. More experience than something. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, he disappeared completely and never contacted Nicolene again. Well, for for a little while. She said it was Emile's mother who took her out to lunch months later to break the news that Emile had gotten married in the UK and never intended on returning to South Africa or his family. Whoa. Also, I have a bone to pick with Emile's mother. Yeah. (laughs) You'll see. There's like some stuff that happens later too. But I was like, if that was my son, I would be like, you man up and you talk to the woman who is the mother of your child. I wouldn't take her out to lunch and be like, sorry, my son got married and didn't tell you. Yeah.
0: Also like good luck with my
1: grandchildren. Yeah. What? That's so crazy. Nicolene was completely dumbfounded and devastated but no one was more upset than his children, who had been completely abandoned. Emil's daughter is on the documentary, and she is gorgeous. By the I'm way, I'm sure bee- if he's as bee- good of a looker as everyone's saying. Yeah, she is absolutely gorgeous, and it's so heartbreaking. She's a you know a young adult now, but she's talking about how she had looked up to her father. He was like a hero to her, and one day he was just gone, and it was it just was he disappeared. So eventually Nicoline and the children did move to England. They moved there after Emil told Nicoline that things with Carly were not working out and that he wanted to be back together with her and be with their children. Now this is after he had had children with Carly. So Nicoline did move to the UK and she was having a relationship with him again. And that's when she found out that he actually hadn't left Carly. He was seeing both of them. And there was a moment where there was a confrontation and he basically had to pick between his, you know, old girlfriend, mother of his eldest two children, or his (laughs) current wife, mother of his youngest children. So, yeah, they were speaking Afrikaans, which is, you know, of course, the language of South Africa. Uh, one of the languages of South Africa. And he was basically saying, I'll choose you. But he was saying it in a way that Carly couldn't understand, of course. So fucked up. It's so fucked up. And and basically, Nicolene was like, you know what? No, no, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm over this completely. I'm going to stay in the UK, but I'm going to build my life for myself and my children. But she never, ever prevented him from seeing his children. So this whole like thing that he said that she wasn't letting him see the kids was a total lie. He was a deadbeat dad completely on his own, you know, cognizance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, now, Victoria doesn't know any of this. No. She's taking him completely at his word. She did find out, though, not long after the meeting with Carly that Emil was in debt. So he claimed it was only 2,000 pounds of debt. And he said that it was because that's of not, his ex. That's not debt.
0: Yeah, that's no, 2,000 pounds. People, £2, 000, people don't talk about that like you're in debt when you have $2,000 of debt.
1: No. And so he said it was also because of his ex, Carly, who had ruined his credit. And With like all her online up shopping. On- Yes. Yes. (laughs) So Victoria was like, well, I'll help you out. Why don't you move into my house so Uh, that you can save some money? I'll give you 2,000 pounds to clear off your debts. And we will open a joint account to help get you back on track. That's another red flag right there. He got a ticket to ride. (laughs) Yes, he did. In January of 2011, after having been together for just over a year, Emil took Victoria home to Cape Town, where she met his parents. Emil's mother was warm and welcoming. She even gushed that Emil had never, ever spoken about a woman the way he spoke about Victoria and that he was in love for the first time, which he has two baby mamas. I feel like that's a little rude. Yeah. She's on that manipulation. Is on she is. I mean, too. I think this is where Emil gets it from. Yeah days later emil proposed at a cheetah sanctuary and they celebrated with emil's friends and family yeah she was like this wouldn't be my like ideal proposal because they like he like tied the ring around a cheetah's like collar (laughs) that's so fucking
0: weird (laughs) so weird i just all i'm thinking of is we went to a wolf sanctuary lately and if i saw a proposal there i would have been like
1: it's like a weird, she said it was a weird place because they'd also like done these incredible hikes, like these gorgeous views looking over the ocean. Yeah. There was like a, a lot of times that he could have proposed. And I think animal sanctuaries in general, like they're potentially dangerous. They're kind of smelly, you know?
0: Yeah, and like, it's supposed to be a safe place for the animals,
1: not animals. for you to like do your antics. Your antics, your proposal <laughs> antics. <laughs> so yeah, Victoria was kind of like, eh, about this either. but. She was excited to be marrying Emile. She definitely believed he was the love of her life. So they started planning a wedding in South Africa. Basically, Emile's family said that they didn't have enough money to travel to the UK. So they wanted to host the wedding in their home country. And Victoria's family was totally cool with a destination wedding. Obviously, South Africa is beautiful. They were like, that sounds great to us. So they started planning this wedding for the next year. And while they're planning the wedding, Victoria got pregnant which was exciting. This is what they wanted. However, in the first trimester, she miscarried. Oh no. Yeah. And this, the timing of the miscarriage was such that they had been just about to go to London, which was a little more than an hour's drive away from where they lived for a rugby match that Emil was participating in. He was like in a, like an intramural type rugby team. And so when she started experiencing the miscarriage, she went to the doctor and the doctor was like, well, we could, you know, basically do a surgery to remove it or you can just let it pass naturally. Okay. She decided to let the miscarriage pass naturally. And at that point, Emil was like, well, we're still going to London, right? And she was like, I don't know. I'm like, ha- I'm actively having a miscarriage. And he's like, well, I can't let the boys down. And there's going to be a hotel room there. So why don't we just go and you can just chill out in the hotel room and... I'll see you when I can see you. And so she agreed because she was like, I guess we just have to move on with our life and like keep going forward. But when they got to London, it was not a hotel room. It wasn't like a private hotel room. It was basically a big open bunk area for the whole team to bunk in. Stop it. And she was also bleeding really heavily at this point. So she's like, Emile, I cannot stay here. I can't experience a miscarriage in this room full of rugby players, you know? oh my god yeah and so at that point she said I need to go home like you need to come home with me and he was like well I'm not gonna leave now so here's the keys you can drive yourself home right can you imagine no and she said later to his credit he called one of her friends to be home with her that night so she didn't have to be alone while she was miscarrying
0: oh, awards for good boys Ugh. it's like he gets a trophy for that
1: So six weeks after the miscarriage, on the day that the couple was supposed to fly to South Africa for the wedding, Victoria got another positive pregnancy test. Okay. So she's pregnant once more right before their wedding. And apparently this wedding was amazing. It was a dream wedding. They got married on this cliffside overlooking the sparkling sea. It was absolutely gorgeous. She. Felt like she had a little like secret buddy in her belly. Like she had just found out about it. So there was this like extra glow to her. And it, by all accounts, was a very happy event. And then they also went to um, a honeymoon in Paris, which was apparently extraordinary. So they were having a really good time at this point, but she starts bleeding again. Oh God. Thankfully, the baby did survive, but she had a very, very high risk pregnancy. She was basically on bed rest because there was so much bleeding. Okay. And then towards the end of her pregnancy, the baby stopped growing. So they had to deliver her prematurely. Okay. In April of 2012, Victoria brought a four pound, one ounce little angel Tiny. into the world. Little teeny, beanie baby. Hi. They named her appropriately April. And despite April's brief stay in the NICU, surgery for Victoria after birth, and then a two-week hospital stay, the couple was unbelievably happy. So they went through a lot of hardships during this pregnancy and afterwards, but it was like a dream come true for Victoria. Okay. However, soon after arriving home, Victoria discovered that they were in a very bad financial way. Her money was going out of the joint account and it never seemed like Emile's was going in. He had a million reasons why he wasn't contributing to the household. He would say, there was a screw up at work. I didn't get paid. There must be a problem with the bank. I transferred it. I don't know where it is. Oh God. He had a million excuses and the money just never materialized. So Victoria was forced to cancel credit cards after alleged hackers charged bunches of things on her cards and it was a mess. The first time this happened, she approached Emil and was like, hey, I know that you also have like an account on my credit card. Did you spend this money? And he was completely defensive and just so horrified that she would even accuse him of spending that money on her credit card. And he's like, clearly you were hacked. I can't believe you're blaming this on me. Did they say what it was for? It was like for clothing and stuff. And she did say that she couldn't find any of those items. It wasn't like they were in their yeah, bedroom from mistress? Potentially, potentially. Uh, Potentially, (laughs) I'm not telling you anything. (laughs) Furthermore, Emil decided that the house that she owned was not good enough or safe enough or big enough for their child. And so he kind of manipulated her into purchasing a bigger house than maybe they needed or they could really afford. He encouraged her to use her grandmother's inheritance entirely And after the bank declined a loan due to Victoria's now terrible credit, he then suggested that maybe she could just borrow money from her brother. And Victoria was usually responsible. And I don't think she should have gone along with this, but she did. So her brother was fine loaning her the money because he knew his sister was usually usually very financially, you know, sound. So they are definitely digging a deep financial hole at this point. And they were also facing a kind of now or never situation as far as baby number two went, given that Victoria was almost 40 at this point. So it was like, if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. Victoria began to see a fertility doctor after months went by with no baby. But then seemingly out of the blue, she got pregnant with baby number two. And after she got pregnant with baby number two, she finally started really seeing some bad signs in her marriage. This first one is really, really, really bad. She received a call from their 16-year-old babysitter's mother who said that Emil had been inappropriately texting the underage girl. Oh, my God. The mother sent Victoria screenshots of the texts as proof, (sighs) which also clearly showed his phone number, and she was horrified. When she confronted Emil, he claimed that his phone had been hacked. I guess everyone's hacking up oh in here. Oh my God, that's so crazy. And that Victoria was insane and disloyal to even imagine that he would do such a thing. Oh my God. So it's much It's definitely her fault that you're a creep, sir. Next, she discovered that he had lied about submitting sperm for a fertility test. She had been begging him for months to get this test done and he had lied completely and was like, yeah, I did it. I don't, your doctor should have the paperwork. And she's like, they don't. They keep telling me they they haven't tested your sperm. So where is it? And he's like, I gave it to them. What is your problem? So she's already pregnant at this point and she finds in the glove compartment of his car the unused specimen cup and paperwork that he clearly never went and got the test or submitted. Oh, my God. hmm And then one day while she was using the family computer, emails for swingers and sex clubs began popping up. They were all addressed to Emil. When she asked him about it, he said that he and his ex used to go to various sex clubs and that they must have simply kept him on the mailing list. But Victoria knew that this was bullshit because he had gotten a new email address while they were together. So how would the sex club have his new email address? So she had tried to put it out of her mind, but more and more red flags just kept popping up. And just like unfaithful scumbags are wont to do, he started, I guess, continued to gaslight her. So an example of this was that she was also on the family computer another time and it was synced with his phone. And a text popped up that said, I had such a good time last night. I guess it's just as well that there was a security camera in the car park because who knows what would have happened. Oh my God. So she obviously confronted him about this and he just completely gaslit her and turned it around on her. And he was like, must have just been that my phone has continued to be hacked or I'm getting somebody else's messages. And the fact that you don't believe me is insane. And just because you're damaged, because your ex cheated on you, doesn't mean that you can put that on me. Wow scumbag of the year award. Oh, yeah. And then another thing happened where she, he was gone one night and she found a receipt for clearly two people. And it was like his order, his usual order. And then there was like a salad and a white wine, which Ah! sounds like a feminine order, like stereotypically. (laughs) So when she brought it to him, he was like, what are you talking about? I must have accidentally picked somebody else's receipt up. Like, that's not mine. And so she like went into his wallet to confirm that it was his credit card on the receipt. And he like screamed at her for like snooping and being paranoid and that she was such a crazy bitch for doing this, you know? Wow. Ugh. Then to make matters worse, Emil all of a sudden had all of these so-called emergencies that he needed his loving pregnant wife to give him money for. Oh, God. She said that his... Father needed to have emergency surgery in South Africa. And, you know, he was too proud to ask Victoria himself, but could she give some money to Emil to give to his dad? So she gave him a thousand pounds for that surgery. She also had to put in 500 pounds to get Emil's car out of an impound lot because he had failed to pay his insurance. And then this one is this is not about money, but this is just so humiliating. They were at a party. And again, she is very pregnant at this point with their second child. And all Ugh. of the people at the party had put their phones down together on this table while they were talking and, you know, drinking and having a good time. And all of a sudden there was an alert on one of the phones and this woman leaned over and she goes, ooh, somebody's got a Tinder match. Whose phone is this? And Victoria looked over and Emile looked over at the same time and it was Emile's phone. And she said that everybody at the party, when they realized it was Emil's phone and he's sitting there with his pregnant wife they just went completely quiet oh my god yeah so on the way home of course she was like that was so humiliating why are you on tinder what's going on and he's like what it's just my mates you know put me on it as a laugh it's just a joke oh my god you guys love murder tip no one is ever on Tinder as a joke, ever, ever. I feel like whenever these guys are caught on Tinder, they're always like, I don't know, it's just a joke. My friends made me do it. My friends yeah, thought it just, would be so we funny. we just
0: swipe left or right at a bar when we're out. Like, it's- Like, what? Yes.
1: <laughs> Victoria at this point was exhausted- Heavily pregnant and just didn't even know what she was going to do with her marriage. When Emile announced that he was going on an Austrian ski vacation by himself for two weeks. Doubting. it. Not, yeah, not even it. arriving home until the day before Christmas when they have a toddler and she is insanely pregnant. She like barely fought him. She was like, fine, go. Yeah, I don't just, even know what to do with you anymore, yeah. you know? In Victoria's perspective, she hadn't done enough work to repair her first marriage. She felt like she had really just like let it fail rather than going to therapy and figuring things out with Liam, and she was not willing to completely abandon the father of her children. But she was totally humiliated while celebrating Christmas with her family when Emil admitted on Christmas morning that he hadn't purchased a single gift for her. Oh no. Yeah. And all she'd asked him for was a pair of slippers. That's all she'd wanted. And her stepsister was opening like literally 20 presents from her fiance. And he was explaining the meaning behind each gift. I mean, presents are overrated, but that's
0: like really horrible.
1: Yeah. And also you're pregnant. So you're like hormonal and you're not feeling great about yourself. And there's somebody else in front of you getting lavished with gifts and he couldn't even get her a freaking pair of slippers? I know. Dude. It was but he doesn't care. He does not care. And she said it was even worse that he obviously didn't get anything for April either, but no worries because she had. But he wasn't even paying attention when April was opening her presents. They have a, like a 2-year-old yeah, and she's that's opening the her picture. presents. And he's on his phone. She said he was glued to his phone the entire holiday. And then he just announced oh, turns out I have to go to an Army Reserve training over New Year's, so I'm not going to be home with the family. Once he arrived, he told her that there was no Wi-Fi on the military base so that she would not be hearing from him for the duration of his stay for his so-called training. Now, obviously, I think at this point, Victoria had transitioned to pretty much full civilian life. I think she still worked at the Ministry of Defense Rehabilitation Center, but she wasn't like active military at this point. But she has so many friends who are, you know. So she knew one of her girlfriends had actually been stationed at that base in Germany, the one that he was claiming he was at. And she was like, so how is the Wi-Fi service there? And her friend was like, the place is massive and the Wi-Fi is great. It is totally wired. You should have no problem talking to Emil. Uh, A.K.A. Lying. (laughs) Yeah. So when he returned, Victoria did try to talk to him about the disintegrating relationship and he totally brushed her off. And then later he emailed her and said that he wasn't sure if he wanted to continue being in the marriage through email. Apparently he was like in the house. They're both in the house at the same time and he's emailing her. And she just was like, can you not email me? I'm right here. Can you talk to me? And he's like, I didn't want you to get like overly emotional about this.
0: No wonder she wants to jump out of a plane at five weeks postpartum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would too, right? Yeah. They decided that they were going to like try to stay together until their next anniversary, which was occurring that September. So this is like January at this point. And he said he'll, you know, he'll work on it. And he denied that there was anyone else in the picture, but she knew that there was because he, she kept seeing the name Stephanie popping up on his phone and they didn't have any mutual friends that were named Stephanie. And when he left her for the night on Valentine's Day, she knew that there was somebody else. Especially because she had seen an email come through for him that was like confirming his ballroom dancing lessons on Valentine's Day. Oh my god! He is with her. Bold, bold. She said later about this time in her life of age. Stephanie is of age. Thank goodness. (laughs) She said later, "Emil had driven me to a point where I didn't even recognize myself anymore. The woman I used to be would have stuck up for herself, would have gotten out of the relationship that was so clearly toxic. The woman I was now had no confidence that she could look after herself, let alone her children. His constant lying and the fact that I had never dealt with it made me feel weak. His infidelity made me feel totally worthless. What was wrong with me that two husbands had thought so little of me that they'd both cheated? And every time I raised a concern about his behavior, he turned it back on me until I felt like it was my fault. I had reached a point where I felt like I was just going through the motions each day for the sake of April. I'm going to need some help with a baby, I thought to myself. I can't just end our marriage now. And if he is prepared to be honest with me, if he admits or explains his behavior, if he changes, perhaps we could still have a future together. Wow. Ugh. Well, only days after Valentine's Day, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy named Ben whom she named entirely on her own because Emil was so checked out of their marriage that he didn't even care what she named their child. Wow. Was he at the birth? He came to the birth, but she said he was on his phone the entire time.
0: That's yeah, so disgusting.
1: One night when Ben was almost a month old, Emil informed Victoria that he was going to go stay at the military barracks instead of staying at the home that night. And he said it was because he had an early morning. And she was like, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. You can't just stay here and go in the morning, which also I would be like, no, sir, you're staying home because we have a one month old who is breastfeeding and probably not sleeping through the night and a toddler. I need your help, you know? Yeah. So she said that she was breastfeeding Ben upstairs and she could hear him kind of like rooting around in the kitchen doing stuff before he left. And then like after 20 minutes of God knows what, she heard the door slam and he was gone. So she woke up early the next morning and she got up to put the kettle on for some tea and get April ready for preschool. And while she was in the kitchen, she realized that she smelled gas. What? Yeah, she smelled a lot of gas. So she luckily had not turned on the stove at this point. She knew where the gas pipe was and she discovered what looked like blood along its handle. And Emil had recently cut his hand. So she thought seeing the blood on it, that maybe he had adjusted the gas lever somehow. So she texted him to ask and he wrote back, well, that's weird. Is the stove working? She's like, uh, I'm not going to turn on the stove and blow the entire house up to check if the stove's working. Why would you suggest that? Oh my God. So Victoria called the gas man who revealed that the gas pipe had been opened. He said, maybe a bolt just got loose. I don't know. This, it could happen. And he tightened it closed. Terrifying. So Victoria did have a weird sinking feeling that obviously Emil had tampered with it somehow. So she texted him, are you trying to kill me? And he responded very defensively. She was like out of her mind that she would think that. Not a good sign because that's what he does when he's guilty. Exactly. And she ended up just like kind of making a joke. She's like, I was just making a joke because there was blood on the handle and you had a cut hand. So it just seemed like maybe you did something, but whatever. It's a joke. Yeah. Just like Tinder's a joke, you piece of shit. (sighs) True. True that. A few days later, Emil told Victoria that he realized he had been somewhat absent and he wanted them to go do something that they used to love doing together, parachuting. Now, Like we talked about at the beginning, she is only five weeks postpartum. So this is insane to me. But (laughs) Victoria was just happy that he wanted to do something with her and that they want, we're going to have like some sort of date. He said he was going to get a babysitter and that they could jump together. Now, he is the one who booked the jump for her. And then he said, oh, turns out babysitter fell through. I can't jump. I'm going to stay on the ground with the kids and we'll watch mommy do her jump. And it's going to be really exciting. So she was a little bummed out about this. Well, Um, also,
0: yes, since you feel like he might have already been trying to kill you with the gas.
1: Yes. And it was a shared hobby of theirs. They did this a lot while they were, you know, first dating and first married. He actually had a side job for a little while at the skydiving center where he would pack the parachute kits. So he is also very experienced with that. So this was something that she was hoping that they were going to get back to. You know, this community knew them very much as a couple. So she decided, you know what? I have not been feeling like myself. I have not been feeling that good. I think that maybe getting up in the air and doing this thing that I love will maybe benefit me. So why not? Why not? Why not do it, you know? So they ended up going on Saturday, April 4th. And she had to rent a parachute because she hadn't been skydiving in so long that apparently her AAD, which is Automatic Activation Device, was out of date. And now this AAD is responsible for deploying the reserve parachute if it notices an abnormally fast velocity at a low altitude. Okay. it automatically would deploy it. Yeah. So obviously it's something very important. This needed to be sent back to the manufacturer to get serviced. So she had to rent from the skydiving center instead. So that Saturday, the weather was not so great. So she checks in, she rented her parachute and the family of four was left to wait. So they have a very little baby. He's only five weeks old and a toddler kind of like running around getting bored, waiting for mom to jump. And at some point, April needs to use the bathroom. So he has Victoria's parachute, the rented one on his back. He's like holding it over his shoulder when he takes April into the loo and he's gone somewhere between five and 10 minutes. Victoria said that she did notice that it seemed like they were gone for a pretty long a period of time. Ask you, is that like normal for a toddler? I, I mean, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it can take long, but she felt like it was a longer time than necessary. And then when they got out of the bathroom, at that point, the skydiving center said that the weather was too bad. It was getting too late. They were going to cancel all of the jumps for the day. So you have to come back tomorrow and jump. Okay. And they basically went home at that point. Emile convinced her not to wait in line to return the parachute kit. She had a locker there because she had been an instructor there. So he said, just put the rented kit in your locker. And then you don't have to wait now in line when our kids are getting restless and they want to get home. And then you don't have to wait in line tomorrow morning when you want to pick up your parachute, it'll just be there waiting for you. And you're an instructor. So they're not going to care that you keep a rented parachute out overnight, you know? So at that point, she's like, okay, sure. I mean, that that all makes sense to me. And she said that they went home that night, they put the kids to bed, and they actually had a really nice evening. They watched TV together. They were cuddling on the couch. And for the first time in a very long time, she was like, you know what? I think that our marriage might just actually work. It might actually work out. So the next day, Sunday, April 5th, he stayed home with the kids that day because they decided that if the weather wasn't good enough for her to jump, they didn't want the kids hanging out at the center all again all day. So he stayed home and she went to jump by herself. And it was a similar thing. The weather wasn't great. And that's when they decided that any of the runs that day were going to be hop and pops, which is why it's at such a low altitude. And she and that guy, James, were the last ones to jump for the day. And he went first, and then she was after. So she took the the rented kit out of her locker, and she went up in the plane, and she jumped out of the plane at an elevation of 3,000 feet. We are now back to the beginning, and the moment that Victoria realized that both shoots were malfunctioning... And she was desperately trying to hold the reserve parachute in a way that would slow her fall. It was half inflated, but it was doing nothing. She was panicking, but there was also a voice inside her that was saying, your kids need you. You need to figure this shit out right now. Yeah. Yeah. And she is an incredibly experienced skydiver and an instructor. So she knows everything about parachuting safety. So she's trying to do every maneuver that she can think of But nothing is making a difference. And as you said, you know, that was your fall was like 30 seconds. Think about how little time she has to actually be thinking about this and trying to fix this situation. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. If she's jumping from 3,000 feet. Yeah. So she doesn't even know. She's not even looking at the ground. She said she was spinning, so she couldn't see the ground. She didn't know how close it was. And she's just desperately trying to do everything she can to slow her fall down. But it's not working. She's just falling faster and faster to the ground below. And then out of nowhere, there was a metallic bang and everything went black. But Andy, she survived. Oh my God. Isn't that
0: miraculous?
1: Miraculous. That is wild. It's insane. So the book that I use for my primary source this week is... I Survived by Victoria (laughs) Sillars. I can see why you couldn't um, say the title. I Survived. And then, sorry, more spoilers, guys. The other part of the title is (laughs) I Married a Charming Man and Then He Tried to Kill Me. A true story. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with the subtitle. (laughs) The subtitle. Not holding anything back there, Victoria. (sighs) It's a great book. I read it in one day. Thank you also to Melissa for recommending the book. I was... Completely stuck on this story. I could not. I could not put it down after I started reading this book, guys. It's phenomenal. Highly recommend you get this book. So Victoria had landed on a freshly plowed farmer's field, and they said that the fluffed up soil stop it stop had cushioned her fall enough that she wasn't instantly killed. Oh my god! This story is so wild. So it was just by sheer luck that she landed in a farmer's field that had been recently plowed. The skydiving center employees had been so sure that Victoria was going to be found dead that they had actually brought a body bag. Of course. With them to go collect her.
0: Of course. Wouldn't you have?
1: 100%. There's no way I would believe in a million years that somebody could fall 3,000 feet from a plane and survive. Oh my God. So in her book, Victoria wrote that she smelled dirt first, like she came to and she was like realized she was in dirt and she smelled it. And she said that she could wiggle her toes and fingers. So she's like, I'm alive and I don't think I'm paralyzed. But she was fading in and out, of course. She was not sure what was injured. She didn't know where she was. She said that she saw the face of one of the doctors at the skydiving center at one point. And the next thing she knew, she was in a helicopter being airlifted to a hospital. Yeah. Sounds right. At the hospital, they discovered that she had badly shattered her pelvis. She had broken quite a few ribs. She had punctured her lung and she had broken three vertebrae in her back as well. There was one that was concerning that could have could have potentially left her paralyzed. And then the other two were okay and they were going to be able to be fixed easily. So she was badly broken, but alive. And I mean, I can't believe that that's all the damage. I can't believe that she didn't have any brain damage. Seriously. I mean, she had her helmet on, I guess, but still, that's crazy. That's why you always gotta wear your helmet. 100%. Yeah, so when she woke up the first time and saw that Emile was by her side, she recounted that he was kind of seemed almost bored with the whole thing. He wasn't like, oh my God, thank God you're alive as any normal partner would be. He seemed bored and almost angry that she had survived. She even ended up apologizing to him. Like he's like, well, we've been stuck here in the hospital for a really long time waiting for you to wake up. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry that my death-defying fall from a plane is putting you out. Yeah. But she was very confused. She's on a lot of drugs at this point. She was so badly injured that they had to put her on, like, a heavy dose of ketamine to get her through this. Yeah. Yeah. She said at one point they had to transfer her to a stretcher to go do, like, an MRI or something. And when they moved her, it was the most excruciating pain she'd ever felt in her entire life. She couldn't oh help but God. scream. Oh, my God. Jesse, could you imagine? I cannot. And then... Emil was gone. She said he wasn't there for any of her recovery. So she's going through test after test. She's seeing all these specialists. She had to go through a back surgery. She is going through weeks of intensive, painful physical therapy to just try to get well enough to be able to get discharged because all she wanted to do was see her children, you know? can't see her babies. She also had been breastfeeding. She's only five to seven weeks during her, you know, stay in the hospital postpartum, which you remember those early days, your body screams for your baby. Yes. You know? Yes. So she is going through this very emotional, terribly physical thing, but she's also being deprived of being around her children at this point, which is emotionally devastating her and her hormonally her body is going wild and the only time that Emil insisted on being with her was when she had an appointment with a psychologist and the psychologist was trying to ascertain how her marriage was how her emotional state was yeah and apparently Emil insisted on sitting in and he's like our marriage is great everything's great Mm. and she like didn't fight enough to talk to the psychologist one-on-one so, they had no idea what was going on really in her marriage. But she also is such a badass. Like, she's so determined. She had so much grit. And it probably also because she understood physical therapy from being a physio herself. She ended up getting through three months of like hardcore physical therapy in two and a half weeks so she could go home. Uh, yeah. But that's so, uh, that's on brand for her. Very on brand for her. That's exactly who she is. So, she was like, I'm going to get home to my babies. She, went cold turkey off the pain meds because she was getting an IV drip and she couldn't like use crutches if she was on the drip. Yeah, So she like switched to just doing like some tablets and like got herself out of bed, worked through a surgery and then was literally like went from like one type of walker to another type of walker to crutches within two and a half weeks. It's insane. So she was unbelievably grateful to see her children but she was also still very injured. I mean, she was wearing a this tight back brace and like pelvic brace to keep yeah. everything in. She could not lift her children. There was just so many things that she could not do. She was also on crutches. So it was impossible for her to give any sort of care to her kids in a meaningful way. So she had to rely on a meal for a lot. Her father and her stepmother had come from Scotland to help a meal while she'd been in the hospital, but they had to return to their own lives. So when they left, I mean, it was just her and a meal and he had to do a lot of the things. He had to do all of the night feedings because she could not pick the baby up out of his bassinet. Yeah. So he's resentful towards her. So she's postpartum injured and she has this resentful husband now that she's dealing with. And unbeknownst to Victoria at Emil, the skydiving center had taken a closer look at the rental parachute the day after Victoria's fall. Good. And they had determined that components had been altered that affected the efficiency of both parachutes. Unbelievable. There had been these slinks removed from the parachute. So they sent it to the British Parachute Association for further inspection. And the BPA determined that the parachute had been tampered with. They hypothesized that it was only the pressure from her brake line pushing against her other lines that had even kept the parachute even semi-inflated which had then saved her life because it slowed her fall just a little Mm -hmm. bit. When Victoria was released from the hospital, they asked her for permission to involve the police in the investigation, and she agreed. But she genuinely had no idea who would want her dead. She's like, yeah, you guys can investigate it, but I can't imagine anyone at the, you know, parachute center would want me dead. That's so crazy. She says in her memoir that it hadn't occurred to her that her husband was trying to murder her until the police arrived at her door in April to tell her that Emil had been arrested at work for her attempted murder. Oh my God. So she did not take this well, to be honest. She is broken. Again, postpartum. Physically, she's got, I think he's like two months old at this point, maybe. And she has a toddler who just had her birthday party. And she still can't take care of her kids. So she's like, my husband didn't try to kill me. You're crazy. And I need him to come home because I can't take care of my children alone. Like I'm recovering still. Like you have to release him. And they were like, no, ma'am. He tried to kill you. You are forbidden from speaking to him. He is not allowed any contact with you. Or the kids. Or the kids. And we have to do a full investigation now. So... She was not grateful about this. She wasn't like, oh, thank God you're investigating this. This is so amazing of you. She's like, "I, you are leaving me high and dry with no help. And I guess they tried to like get social services involved, but it was kind of hit or miss, like as far as what age she really received. <sighs> yeah. So she did have to get her dad to come back from Scotland to help her with the kids. But she really was not a, a fan of this. And the police say in the documentary that they didn't realize at the time how much Emil had controlled her and how under his spell yep, she still yep. was. Meanwhile, so she's completely defending Emil to the police. She's saying there's no way he did this on purpose. This There has to be a misunderstanding. And she is like desperately wants to speak to her husband to clear this up, right? And he is getting interrogated. And they have video of this on the documentary. And he's just smugly sitting there saying like his marriage with Victoria is basically over. He's not interested in her. He has a new girlfriend he's in love with and that they were going to end their marriage soon anyway. And oh, why Why was the marriage not working out? It was because they had very different sex drives. He requires a lot of sex in his life and Victoria was barely having sex with him twice a week.
0: Barely twice a week? He yeah, he something like that?
1: Yeah, he's like, we're struggling to have sex twice a week. And that's just unacceptable to me. What a piece of shit. When you have a toddler and a newborn child, you're complaining about sex twice a week, sir. So they take his phone and they download the contents of it. They also had taken the contents of Victoria's phone because they needed all of their exchanges as well. On Emile's phone, they discovered over 32,000 WhatsApp messages between him and his mistress, a 30-year-old Austrian woman named Stephanie. Emile had met Stephanie on Tinder in November of 2014. She was an attractive young blonde who was also interested in adventure sports and loved skydiving.
0: Oh, Rude.
1: my God. The two were hot and heavy, exchanging what were described as 50 Shades of Grey-style messages up to 725 times a day. Oh, my God. No There's wonder so he was many glued text. to his phone all the time. That's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. Stephanie knew that Emil was married with children, but he told her that they were in the process of divorcing because Victoria had cheated on him and Ben wasn't his baby. Oh, that is a gut punch. You find out your husband's unfaithful and that he told his mistress that you had cheated and that your baby wasn't his. Oh, my God. Well, most damning for the investigators were a couple messages in which Emil stated emphatically that he would literally do anything to be with Stephanie And that in January, he had messaged her that after April, he would be free completely to see her at any time and have spontaneous dates. So two months before the accident, he was telling his mistress that after April 1st, I'm going to be free to do whatever we want. Uh... So the detectives took this information back to Victoria, who, like I said, had been staunchly defending Emil. As well as proof that all of the money she had given to him for emergencies, as well as, you know, whatever he had drained from their joint account, had been used to fund lavish ski trips and fancy vacations with his girlfriends. And lots of salads and white wine. <sighs> <laughs> Victoria finally broke down and told them all about the fights about money and infidelity, and she also told the investigators about the suspicious gas leak only a week before her fall from the sky. The detectives were able to find evidence that the gas lever had indeed been tampered with. They found a wrench-like tool in Emile's toolbox that fit the scratched grooves on the gas lever. <sighs> There was now proof that Emil had been trying to kill his wife with his own small children in the house. So he was fine with them dying as well, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, he's a total scumbag. In January of 2017, Emile was formally charged with two counts of attempted murder and a reckless endangerment charge for the kids with the gas good, leak. Good, good. Victoria was an extremely reluctant witness. She was still holding out hope at this point that the allegations were untrue and that she would be able to reconcile with Emil. The ITV documentary is a good companion piece to Victoria's memoir because the whole time I was reading Victoria's memoir, I was shocked at how alone she was and how in the dark she seemed about the investigation and the prosecution, the prosecution's case rather, because in previous cases, it seemed like the detectives and the prosecutors usually work very closely with the victim or victim's family. So I, I just didn't know why she was, so out of the loop, and when you watch the documentary, the d- detectives kind of give their side of it, which was essentially that she didn't want to cooperate with the investigation because she still didn't totally believe that Emil did it. How could you? How could you believe that right out the gate
0: that a you, bunch of you you people can't. you don't know are coming and telling you that your husband's been trying to kill you multiple
1: times? Yeah, and and think about it: you're postpartum, you're completely broken you need him, you're still in love with him. And you're like, yes, he did some bad things, but he's still the father of my children. And you would also have to believe that he wanted to kill your kids too. That's so hard to swallow about your co-parent and partner. So yeah, so she did not really go along with the investigation, which is why, you know, they didn't really clue her in because they didn't, you know, she was, she was barred from speaking or seeing him, but they didn't know if somehow she would manage to and she could tell him something about the investigation, you know? So they also make it clear in the documentary that they completely empathized with Victoria. They understood why she was feeling that way and that she was not just a victim of attempted murder. She was also a victim of coercive control, which, by the way, has now been criminalized by the UK justice system, which is great. Coercive control is a pattern of acts of threats, humiliation, intimidation, or other abuse that is intended to frighten or manipulate the victim and does not need to be physical and is often accompanied with alienation from loved ones and gaslighting. So I read that this type of abuse can be even more of an accurate predictor of a person killing their spouse than domestic physical abuse in some cases. Okay. This type of coercive control and pattern of manipulation and gaslighting and, you know, the, the things he was doing to chip away at her. Yep. Can be even more of an indication than somebody actually being physically hit occasionally. However, those two behaviors very often go hand in hand. So it's kind of hard to parse through which one is a more of an indicator. But yeah, this is a huge, huge problem. And I think big props to um, the UK for criminalizing it. Totally. Emile's prior partners also spoke about the control he had had over them. This was certainly a pattern and the detectives were empathetic to why Victoria was still defending the man who had twice tried to murder her. However, during Emile's trial, Victoria frustrated the detectives and the prosecutor by testifying that she may have exaggerated her statements to the police. A big crux of the argument against Emil was the time he spent in the bathroom with the parachute. After the police informed her of Emil's cheating ways, she had reported that he had been gone for at least 10 minutes, plenty of time to tamper with the kit. Now on the stand, she was alleging that she had been angry when she found out about his infidelity and that she had said that it was 10 minutes to get back at him with the police, but maybe he had been gone for five minutes or less, which would make... It a little harder to have actually tampered with the parachute. Because no one else, no one else noticed. No one else noticed. The prosecution was aghast at the change in the story, and they weren't the only ones. In her memoir, Victoria said that she received threatening letters to her home in which the mystery sender called her names for defending her would-be murderer. They were like just basically saying that she was so stupid. Why was she defending the guy who tried to kill her? It was like this really terrible time in her life, too, because her friends and the press were all saying like how dumb she was for defending him. Meanwhile, she's also getting text messages from Emil's mother being like, Oh, God, he loves you so much. You know, he'd never do this to you. Like, make sure that like you're defending him to people and like watch what you say, essentially, you know, Ugh. So she's feeling really caught in her book. She says that she honestly cannot remember if it was five minutes or 10 minutes. She just can't. And she was afraid of perjuring herself, number one. But also, number two, she wasn't sure that Emil did it. And she was afraid that if she was like, oh, it was definitely 10 minutes, that she might sway the jury to conviction when maybe he was still innocent. So she just didn't know what to do. The media scrutiny around this trial was also completely traumatizing to Victoria because there was paparazzi following her, trying to get pictures of her and her children. She was also getting those threatening letters, but also she was finding out so much more about Emil through the trial coverage. So she wasn't allowed to be in the trial, like witness it herself because she was a witness and she had to testify, but she was reading the newspaper reports of the daily coverage and she found out even more about his treachery. During the period between the initial in- investigation and Emil's eventual arrest, while Victoria was forbidden from contact with Emil, he was still entitled to visitation with their children. Okay. So his ex wife Carly was picking up the kids to bring them to Emil for the visitation. During this time, Victoria kind of considered Carly a friend. Okay, You know, pretty loosely. She said not like a close friend, but they were very friendly. So Good. she was shocked to discover that Emil hadn't just been sleeping with his girlfriend. He had been having an ongoing affair with his ex-wife as well. Gross. Yeah, the prosecutor showed Carly and Emil's text messages back and forth. So Emil at one point had been driving Victoria's brand new car and he texted Carly to come and christen the back seat with him. And then when Victoria was in the hospital recuperating from the attempted murder, he texted Carly that he was looking forward to seeing her that night, and they were going to, quote, fuck twice tonight.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Well, she also discovered through the trial coverage that her husband had been a frequent guest at a sex club and had been soliciting sex workers as well. He had texted sex workers requesting bareback sex for 100 pounds and then followed up like the yeses with another request to film it. Oh my God. That is not, you do not want to find out that your husband is, Sleeping with other people, bareback. Oh, sickening. So the sex club that he frequented is actually in the documentary. Oh my God, stop. Guys, guys, I gotta tell you, this gives this story the much needed comic relief because we have like a very like BBC investigative journalist, like host woman who is going to this sex club. And it's not like a sex club. It's like a guy's house in like a residential neighborhood. Oh my God. Like this could totally be your neighbor. And it's like this funny little old man. And he's explaining that though the club had been shut down in 2017, because I think it was like illegally operating. Prior to that, they had entertained nearly 100 visitors a weekend for all sorts of fun activities on all levels of the house. Oh, my God. He claimed that Emil had actually been thrown out of the club, even though he was a regular, because he had been too aggressive trying to have sex with this married woman who was part of a swinging couple. And, you know, there's rules around how you engage somebody, how, you know, you work up to those sort of relationships, how you, you know, have a conversation about it. And apparently he just kind of like started sexually assaulting her. Wow. And her husband got involved and was like, get the hell off my wife. And the guy said that that was kind of the the final straw because he had already creeped people out because he was like creepy and like looked really intensely at people with his creepy eyes. So he had gotten kicked out of the... Sex club for rubbing people the wrong way, pun intended. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Emil's favorite part of the club, according to the proprietor, had been the glory hole wall, which he showed to the documentary cameras. The glory hole wall is in the documentary and it's painted with the sign Donkey Dick's Glory Hole. Oh, (laughs) My God. He's explaining it to her like, well, the men put their dicks here. Like, she's like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, yep. You don't need to explain to me how a glory hole works. And he's like, that's just a bit of fun. Anyway, back to the trial. So she's finding out all this stuff through the trial coverage. So the defense argued that there was no forensic evidence that Emil had tried to kill his wife. Well, the prosecution was like, hey, those tool marks on the gas lever count as evidence, you know? And they said that Emil had expertise packing parachute kits. He knew exactly what he was doing. He also had a £120,000 life insurance policy on Victoria and planned to use it to pay off his more than £22,000 debt. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, perhaps due to Victoria's wishy-washy testimony, the jury ended up being terribly deadlocked a hung jury was announced and a new trial was ordered. This was exceedingly painful for Victoria, who just wanted the publicity to end. In May of 2018, he was tried once more and even more evidence was presented against Emil, including the fact that only a couple days before Victoria's attempted murder, he had been Googling how to find a wet nurse. If you guys don't know what a wet nurse is, it's somebody who breastfeeds your child or provides... Breast milk for your child when the mother is unable to. So clearly he was planning on Victoria being out of commission. Yes. Emile's attorney argued the golden goose defense, highlighting how much Emile had scammed from Victoria to fund his illicit lifestyle and how he'd never kill her because she was worth more money to him alive than dead. I love that excuse. I love that excuse. Which she also found out about through the paper. So it's like finding out your husband tried to kill you and then his defense attorney isn't arguing he couldn't have done it because he loved her so much. He's arguing he couldn't have done it because she was worth so much money for him and she was funding his lifestyle with his mistress. So she wasn't going to kill that golden goose. Victoria mostly said the same thing, she, you know, and now the prosecution knew though what she was going to say, but she was, yeah, I'm not sure. It's somewhere between five and 10 minutes. I can't tell you is basically what she said. She wrote in her book that if the jury had found Emil innocent, she feels like she would have probably decided that that was true and she would have forgiven him. She would have believed that he hadn't. But after three days of deliberation, the jury found Emil guilty on all three counts. Thank God. Okay. Thank God. It had been three years since the fall and Victoria was finally able to start to put her life back together. She was also finally able to see him face to face in prison and have a conversation with him. When she visited him, he swore up and down that he was innocent and that he was still in love with her and he wanted to still be a family. But after several visits, she realized he was just trying to control her all over again. And like I said, I think his mother was complicit in this as well because she was texting Victoria like, you're all he has, you know, his family's in South Africa. You're the only one who is there for him in in England. You have to go see him. You and his two ex-girls. Yeah. And the girlfriend had broken up with him real fast. Like as soon as he was arrested, she was like, what? No, of course I'm not going to be with you, you know? So yeah, eventually Victoria was like, oh my God, I finally see it. I get it. I get it now. This entire time I was under the spell of a sociopathic, dangerous psychopath who only ever cared about himself. And she really found that to be true because she finally filed for divorce and he wouldn't grant her. I don't know. They might still not even be divorced. I could not see in the latest news whether wow. or not he had finally granted her a divorce because in a, in a news report from 2020, she was still fighting for him to actually wow. grant her one. Yeah. Wow. She was like, he's still torturing me from prison because he won't let me go. This is the only way left to control her. Oh, that's so gross. In October of 2018, Daily Mail journalist Sarah Oliver asked Victoria if she would ever skydive again and Victoria quipped, if you will, I will. Well, the journalist took her up on it and the two both tandem jumped together. Oh my God, I love that. For Victoria, the jump gave her closure. She said to Sarah Oliver in the Daily Mail article, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. And boy, did I feel that. Although (laughs) I had made a and although I had made a fantastic physical recovery, in psychological terms, my head was lagging behind. Jumping was an integral part of fixing that. It was as if I had to overwrite my memory of that fall. I had to jump again to put my history behind me. Wow, that gave me goosebumps. It's so brave and so incredible that she was able to face her fear like that. No way, no way in a million years would I be able to do that. No, me neither. Oh, she's- really a spectacularly strong human being. Yes. She also raised money for the Wiltshire Air Ambulance who had saved her life and potentially her ability to work, uh, walk because they had handled her case so well and you know how they had transported her and everything. Likely had saved her from being paralyzed. Wow. Because of her back injuries. Yeah. Yeah, so she raised money with that jump for the Air Ambulance That's service. That's awesome. Emile was sentenced to a minimum of 18 years in prison, so he'll absolutely spend that and potentially much longer. And there he remains. Victoria still works as a physiotherapist and has found love once more with a longtime friend who she knew through her tight-knit skydiving community. Awesome. The Daily Mail reported in July of 2020 that Victoria's hunky new lover <laughs> is a 49-year-old Royal Marine named Simon Goodman. Victoria describes Simon as her rock and said that their love bloomed during the COVID lockdowns. Her Aww. children are healthy and thriving. Yay. Wow, what an incredible survival story. I love it. I love it so much. Melissa, thank you so much for sending me this one because I, I certainly cannot imagine finding it on my own. So we all owe you a debt of gratitude for this incredibly compelling story. Thank you so much. In conclusion, guys, secret children, huge red flag. I mean, if you find out that your partner has an entire family and secret children or child that they are hiding from you, throw the whole damn man out.
0: Goodbye. You gotta say bye. You gotta say bye. No matter how much more time you have left to have babies, you'll find someone else.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, throw the whole darn man out. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Also... I don't think it's ever crazy to just double check and make sure that your parachute's all hooked up okay. Don't make let anyone tell you otherwise.
1: Yeah. That's this is a hard one because the way they they pack them though. Like, yep. you know, it, it could have she could have even eyeballed it and it looked okay, you know? Yeah, just don't let anyone make you feel crazy for trusting your gut and double checking and all those all those and things. And listening to your yep. gut. She she did have a sixth sense to not jump that day. Yep. Guys, we say it, we'll say it again. Trust your gut. And as always, wait, I'm just about to say it again. Yeah. (laughs) Trust your gut when it comes to love. So no one gets almost murdered. We love you. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thank you.